0: Looking for the latest perspectives to help simplify changing market conditions? Go to Nationwide, one of America's largest financial services companies. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation. Finremember, member. Columbus, Ohio. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over,
1: which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
3: Debt limit talks stalling. Greg Peters of PGM in Fixed Income saying investors are paying for default protection in the near term. We went out the curve somewhat, as our sneaking suspicion is that it will continue year after year. The congressional disruption in D.C. is not going away anytime soon. TK, is this the uh, I... the old normal, the new normal? What do you want to call it? I'm
2: so glad you picked this paragraph from his research. John, this is the fixed income note I've seen in 10 days, maybe two weeks. Greg Peters at PGM right now on where we are and where we're moving uh, forward uh, uh, joining us. Uh, Greg, it's a really complex thing. I think we need to talk for an hour with you this morning. But I want you to set up what the market reaction is going to be if we get PGM persistency and yield, or dare I say we go to a higher 5.6, 5.8, and then the dreaded 6% yield. What happens when we get there?
4: Well, I think we're a long way uh, to 6%. But at the end of the day, we do think yields are too low. (laughs) If you look at the move that we've seen, particularly in the front end uh, around the banking crisis of, uh, of March, uh, there was a really, you know, st- steep uh, move lower. And uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. And so, you know, when we're looking at the curve, uh, we feel like it's mispriced, we feel like it's already pricing in a recession. And then when you look <clears throat> at risk reward, it, even if you do get a recession, which is still, you know, pr- probable, of course, Will, will you be rewarded for it? And the question on the table, I think, uh, suggests no.
2: Let's go pro here. There's a thing, Greg, called credit default swaps. Bramo talks about this all the time. You say there's a real efficacy to follow the CDS market. For mere mortals listening and watching, explain the linkage of their yield world with the CDS world.
4: Well, it just is a measure of credit risk of of uh, the U.S. sovereign, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, what we've seen over the past couple months or so is that uh, that risk uh, is elevated, of course, right? So this uh, uh, debt ceiling debate, let's call it, um, is uh, is creeping into the uh, risk of the market. You're seeing that in the CDS curves, and so what you've seen is uh, investors really pay up for short dated. Uh, protection in the event of a default or some type of disruption. Uh, what we decided to do, and to be clear, this is very much of a drop in the ocean type of uh, a trade, but what we've decided to do is actually not pay up for, you know, the couple months or even one year, because we do think it's a persistent problem. So, you know, we really worry about, it. I really worry about a PGM that You know, this political debate around spending and using the debt ceiling uh, as a prop uh, will be a common occurrence. And with that, you know, we think it's good to have a little protection on.
3: So Greg, can we we go out further along the curve away from the front end? Let's go all the way to the back end. What's the 30 year doing up near 4 percent?
4: Yeah, so the 30 year has different characteristics than the uh, intermediate uh, part of the curve and definitely the front end uh, part of the curve. Um, what you have in the back end is still this very much you know need for duration. Investors have to uh, go out and hedge or you know pension funds and LDI accounts have to be out in the back of the curb. So there's different characteristics there. So I think the the informational content that comes out of the 30 year um, is a lot less kind of worthy than uh, the intermediate and the front end. So for me. You know, I look at more at the intermediate part of the curve and more in the front end of the curve than I do the 30 year. But I I mean, it's important, but it's not nearly as important from an informational content standpoint.
5: Greg, at a time when you do expect this turmoil to continue in Washington, do you consider corporate debt of very highly rated companies to essentially be more creditworthy right now than the U.S. government itself?
4: Oh, I think that's a tenuous argument. I've heard that argument. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, that crops up, you know, every uh, several years or so. Um, uh, you know, I really push back on that. Uh, so, you know, everything feeds off U.S. Treasuries, U.S. rates. So, if the risk-free gets repriced, everything gets repriced off of it. So, you know, hiding out in high-quality credit seems like a fool's errand to me. Um, and uh, you're not going to protect yourself in a way that uh, you think you will be protected.
5: Do you think the people who are going into credit, in particular riskier credit right now, are also engaging in a fool's errand just simply because of the risk that you're seeing down the line of perhaps some of the defaults or or at least the uh, Washington turmoil continuing and this idea of some sort of recession getting priced in to the curve?
4: Well, if you're definitely going down in quality and uh, credit, you are basically and essentially betting that uh, there will be no recession. There will be a soft landing. Uh, and so I think that is uh, you know, also a kind of a difficult case to make. So to me, there's much more value being up in quality um, uh, uh, and not going deep down and, you know, deeper, rec- cyclical type of company. So I don't know. Uh, you know, being down in quality doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I'm not sure you're getting paid for it either i think it's too early very simple premise i have yet to see credit spreads uh, tighten into a recession so if you have a high probability of a recession uh, you're uh, you know leaning against that narrative so i don't know uh, to me it's more of a high quality gain dispersion is super high though so there are lots of uh, relative value opportunities And we see a lot more value in structured products, as an example, than we do corporate
3: credit. Greg, can we try and make this really simple just to wrap things up? There were some headlines yesterday about a security that came to market with a yield of 6%. And it has one of those at-risk maturities early next month. Greg, can you explain to people what is the actual risk there? What is the risk there with that security? Because ultimately, surely, doesn't it get paid?
4: Well, hopefully it gets paid. This is the debate on the table, Jonathan. Uh, but but the but the question for an investor is like why would you actually target yourself for that particular maturity? So you know if you do the math around it, uh, you know it's a much higher yield divided by three sixty five. You know times ten days. Is it really worth the risk? So so it's somewhat of an anomalous math equation. And so I wouldn't be so worried about the six percent because that's not really what you're going to earn. So you know from most. Investor's perspective, it's just not worth targeting yourself and getting thrown into the, the potential default pool.
3: Greg Paytas, and hopefully and that in. doesn't happen. We all hope <laughs> that doesn't happen. Greg Paytas, a page in fixed income. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it.
2: No one better in New York City to do this than Oliver Chen, senior equity research analyst at Cowan, who is just totally plugged into our aspirations as well. Mr. Arnault has done this 45 times at LVMH. John has mentioned this. John's really followed this story. He brings his sons over to an American icon, Tiffany. And is it right to say they blew it up?
6: Yeah, it's been tremendous in terms of the innovation there. And luxury is about magic and logic and bringing new, younger customers to the table as well. Tiffany is an iconic brand. The partnerships with Nike really elevating the assortment. And this flagship is one of the best stores in the world right now in terms of what they're doing. Experiential retail art, this unique experience. LVMH is definitely one of our top ideas China's about 25% of revenue. So it's quite material. And we're really watching uh, these near-term changes. The mRNA will be important. You've coined a phrase
3: that I love. It's South Wealth. And if you know, you know. I can spot Brunello. I can spot the MS Orange poking out of your pocket right now. And then there are branding, the aspirational stuff. The people who line up outside the Gucci stores, and they do the (coughs) buy now, pay later. $50 a month, get whatever you want. Get a hoodie. It's got a big brand in front of it. Lisa and I were talking about this before we came on air. We're trying to work out, has the latter started to crack? Have you noticed that at all? Because we used to see all these lines around these luxury stores. And when you used to speak to people in the store, the consumer was changing. They were moving away from dropping $5,000 on a handbag. And maybe they were thinking about it through a monthly payment. Has that started to fade,
6: started to break in this country? For sure, John, you bring up a great point. In terms of aspirational, more entry point luxury, uh, logos as well as sunglasses and and, uh, footwear could be gateways to luxury, and that's been softer. We've seen inventory levels that are too high at Nordstrom, Saks, Neiman Marcus. For that reason. At the same time, when you think about stealth wealth, it's about materials, it's about touch and feel, it's about uh, looking great at work, too. That's been a trend that's been working, too, as the consumers become more cautious, and we've seen many shocks
5: how much are we really parsing through the K-shaped recovery that we used to talk about that we seem to have forgotten, where basically people with the most spending power are spending it on luxury and able to do so in bulk, and you're seeing the others kind of fall (coughs) off as the price increases really catch up more broadly in the economy?
6: We're definitely seeing a consumer discretionary recession in terms of those products and, and that market as a whole facing negative trends. We're also still seeing shifts where dollars are spent on travel and services, hotels. Uh, At the high, high end, that customer is very strong and robust. So we're still seeing strength at the high end. It's more that area right below the high end, the aspirational, where there's lots of pressure. At the high end, the wealthy consumer always has money, it's more about sentiment and emotions too. Certainly some of the financial shocks have been uh, disturbing in terms of putting that customer on pause. Consumer confidence has been volatile as a whole, so it's definitely something we're watching.
5: The overlay here of China and and what's going on there, is there a sense based on the luxury players that are more exposed to the Chinese consumer and less exposed of where that trend is? Is it falling off? Are, are people really seeing a shift there?
6: Well, structurally long-term, China is the biggest deal in luxury it's 30% plus of the market plus even more growth so great luxury retailers and louis vuitton's <clears throat> the largest market cap company in europe so it spends about 10 billion dollars on advertising and promotion and tiffany renovation is well over $250 million just here in New York. Uh, China will be important for the long term, but it'll be fairly volatile as we watch these issues unfold. The name of the game in luxury is flagship stores, and stores that really make you forget about price. So being there physically is important, uh, as well as a modern, upgraded, you know, rethinking the metaverse, a digital experience that's connected as well.
2: Are department stores then dead? If I'm at the corner of Fifty Seventh and Fifth Avenue, and I'm looking from Tiffany's waving over at Bergdorf, hi! What's the future of Bergdorf? And you mentioned Nordstrom earlier.
6: Oh, Bergdorf is very exciting. It's right there too, in the in these magic corners. Really, I didn't <laughs> um, know that. <laughs> Bergdorf is an iconic institution. Our recommendation is Macy's. Department stores are not dead, but they're transforming very rapidly and really needing to offer service, right. differentiated product. They really need to get the younger customer in. And that's been a, a constant, uh, interesting, epic struggle. Uh, we're, we're following Kohl's this morning. The gross margins were better than expected. Back to the basics for retail, as well as inventory management and supply chain. But I teach at Columbia. Don't forget, it's about magic and logic and really uh, bringing things you didn't know existed that you wanted in retail, too. He's the
2: only one I know on the sell side that could conflate Kohl's and Tiffany in one conversation. Throw, no in, one else throw in
3: Macy's that. as well. Just quickly, what is it about Macy's that you like?
6: Inventory management, uh, okay. CFO really focused on an agile CEO, uh, rethinking the loyalty program using mm. data. Artificial intelligence will play a huge role in personalization the data sets <clears> as we think about uh, the future of yeah. retail. And Macy's has a loyal customer too. Needs a younger customer for sure. We're
2: not doing a giveaway on succession because Farrell's got to watch season three and four top to bottom. I've got one episode
6: left. What's a succession (laughs) for Arnaud at LVMH? Um, The the family is doing a really modern job rethinking uh, brands, and captivating a younger customer, elevating brands. It's a company that manages for the very long term.
2: You didn't answer my my Uh, question. There's like three sons, two daughters, the whole thing. What happens in season three of the LVMH story? Well, I
6: I think it's gonna be uh, intensity, competition, and a, a, a real interesting battle for the best of the best. And that's what happens. You really need this competitive spirit to be culturally relevant. Retail's awesome. Luxury's awesome because it's always changing. You got to be in touch with how music is moving, how TV is moving to be God, relevant. I hope Mrs.
2: Keenan's not watching this. <laughs> I love this.
3: Oliver, this is great. Thank you. Oliver Chennai. Such a stylish dude. Double breasted suit. Pete LaPau. He's you like know, iconic. Just I mean, absolutely you know. awesome. I'm
5: going to just postulate that if he had a meeting at the White House, he would not be wearing oh, of casual. Course not. No, no. Shoes, hybrids. I'm just guessing no. that would No, no, no I've
3: got way. a word on the hybrids. The I mean, um, is it you know, I'm kind of it in the churches.
6: Hand? This is Brooks Brothers, so nice. it's back to the basics, rethinking and double-breasted. The fashion's about old and new, and bringing traditional mix and matching. Um, but I'm also versatile. I'll do anything.
2: What what do they call the understated <laughs> thing? Like you on the weekends, the understated thing. Stealth wealth. Stealth is what I uh, was talking about. Uh, well, yeah, for
6: Materials, craftsmanship. <clears throat> well, uh, materials and heritage, and how something is made, and. If it feels great, I mean, cashmere's here forever, yes. And stitching and craftsmanship. <laughs> so you want well, that against churches. your skin, you guys, for I sure. Beautiful
3: shoe. Beautiful shoe. half brogue churches. British. British. It is. There's a
6: great tradition of that. So a little painful in the beginning, but it's worth it.
2: You break them in.
3: Yeah. I agree.
2: I just would kill to get at a larger desk. Oliver Chen, Michael mm. Burke, who ran Bergdorf's for years, and, Antoine, and the great Vanessa Friedman of the New York <laughs> oh, Times. Yeah, that would All fun. in together, bring in uh, okay. Angela from, from London. About th- it, th- He takes it so seriously.
6: I mean, as, he it as, job, as he should. As he should.
5: It's a <laughs> multi-billion dollar business. <laughs> I mean,
2: it, what do you do if you put a sweatshirt in the dryer and shrink it? Oh, I mean, what <laughs> <do> you <laughs> asked
6: about this before. It really depends on the material. <laughs> but I've done it a few times, and sometimes you want to shrink it. And sometimes you don't, but yeah. most of the time it's not just, the stouts shrink. To it. It. No, no. Sometimes one wants um, to yeah, shrink it, one doesn't and want to shrink it. He reinvented, uh, rethinking <laughs> a, a real stature in the industry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think we're done, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> we are. Okay. Good. Oliver, thank you.
0: Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions, so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio.
7: Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time.
2: Two big stories here to talk to Jim Lucere about. Senior political analyst at Capital Alpha Partners barely describes the decades of experience. We've got the theater in Florida. We've got the theater in Washington. Jim, in your research note, which I thought was a really calming note, you talk about three subsets. The people that will bless this, the blessed. The people that will say the deal is acceptable and I would suggest I'd add the furious as well. Who's going to win out here in the next 10 days among the blessed, the acceptable and the furious to move on from this crisis?
8: I think the blessed and the acceptable are going to outnumber the furious. If you look at the way these negotiations proceeded, they've gone from hell no, we're not budging to what kind of freeze do you want to? Okay, who's going to deliver the votes for this? So I think that despite what you see on television about a standoff, they're actually fairly close.
3: (laughs) James, I've got to turn to what's going to take place a little bit later on this afternoon. This talk on Twitter for Governor DeSantis, what do you make of this as a first step potentially towards a run for the big role in the White House?
8: Well, I think it's an unlikely match of personalities. The thing about Ron DeSantis is he's not exactly the most warm and fuzzy guy out there, even though he is a terrific administrator and terrific governor, terrific giver of press conferences. To have an unscripted moment with Elon Musk suggests that either he's prepared to roll the dice and try something very different, or else he just doesn't know what he's in for.
3: Do you think the first steps are important, or do you think in a couple of months' time we'll forget this?
8: I think that in a couple of months' time we'll forget this. Uh, We have forgotten Elon Musk throwing the iron ball (laughs) through the window the truck. We've already forgotten the stealth video in which uh, President Biden announced his reelection campaign early in the morning, two or three weeks ago. Um, I don't think the announcement makes that big a deal, but it is important as we go into Memorial Day that we start that one year countdown to the presidential campaign beginning in earnest, which is really going to be next Memorial Day.
5: How interesting is it to you, James, that Twitter, a social media platform, is not so so much tiptoeing as in, you know, screaming, running into the whole media kind of sphere in Elon Musk hosting this conversation? I mean, what is the distinction at this point between social media and media? And from a regulator standpoint, does this muddy the waters?
8: Well, Elon Musk likes to say that Twitter is the app for everything. And how do you better prove that you're the app for everything than by entertaining Tucker Carlson? So he's demonstrating you can do a lot of things on Twitter. I think Elon has a great commercial incentive to show that very is a very, vast, a very uh, effective platform right up there with Amazon or Netflix. I'm not sure the regulators know how to do this yet. Um, The regulators are fighting a retroactive war, I think, battling bigness, trying to fight bigness by breaking up and deterring large uh, mergers. But I think Elon is far ahead of them at this point.
5: Well, and to that point, James, I mean, to John's point earlier, he was saying some are speculating that Twitter and Elon Musk is becoming the main competitor to Fox in sort of this alternative conservative universe, especially if you have Tucker Carlson launching his own uh, Twitter space or Twitter uh, platform. Uh, and you also have a sort of initiation of Ron DeSantis' campaign all on the same site.
8: Well, you've got no shortage of people who've tried to launch alternative platforms. For instance, there is Glenn Beck. Uh, Megan Kelly has her podcast. Uh, I guess O'Reilly is still out there. What's happening, though, is that as you see conservative media moving into this new video platform with Twitter, the old form, the AM media, the AM radio that was the uh, home turf of Rush Limbaugh, that is slowly dying off. So, in other words, the old forest is dying and the forest animals are looking for a new right. environment.
2: Jim, you've got such a study of history on this. I'm going to go back to the legit World War II hero, Robert Dole of Kansas. He'd be 100 yes. here in July. Senator Dole ran for president, came out of Kansas in the Midwest, and really never related with the American public. Translate that over to the governor of Florida. How does he come out of Florida where he won big and translate over to a Republican and independent America?
8: Well, Bob Dole was a marvelously funny, warm, and empathetic guy. Everybody who knew him in person loved him. He was famous for cracking jokes nonstop in the Senate cloakroom. He was famous after he retired for sending donuts to the cloakroom every day. Um, You know, the memory of Bob Dole is just incredible in that way. Uh, But he did have... I think, a bit of awkwardness with large yes. audience. Um, DeSantis, though, nobody's ever really said that DeSantis is warm and fuzzy in that way. They're impressed with his smarts. They're impressed with his ability to lead as a former military officer. They're impressed with lots of things about him. But you don't hear people talking about DeSantis inspiring the deep personal loyalty among his constituents, among his base, among friends that uh, Bob Dole certainly did. I knew Bob Dole. My father knew Bob Dole very well.
3: James, wonderful to get your perspective on things, particularly with that in mind. James Lucia there of Capital Alpha Partners.
2: What's great about Liz Young is she writes these brutally direct notes as head of investment strategy at SoFi. She loses the ratio mumbo jumbo and talks about the mood and emotion that's out there. You're speaking of housing, Liz, but I think just talking to Oliver Chen of Cowan about the persistence of luxury, I'm going to steal a phrase from you. We're in a milieu of bulletproof demand. We just keep seeming to continue to prosper here amid all the gloom. How do you see that?
1: Well, I think there's a difference between the demand that we're still seeing from certain sets of consumers and especially in the housing market in the face of rising mortgage rates again, mortgage rates that are higher than they've been in 40 years and there just continues to be this appetite to spend. I think when you look at what's happening signal wise, both in the economy and in many parts of the market, This is pretty classic late cycle behavior. The challenging part for many investors, myself included, Mm -hmm. is that late cycle can last a very, very long time. It can last up to 18 months, maybe even longer. So we could continue to say it's clear that we're in late cycle. At some point, there's probably a contraction to bring us back into early cycle that would soften that demand. But could it be another six months? Perhaps, and I think that's the frustrating part right. in the meantime to try to make money in the market.
2: John Brainfreeze, What's Surveillance that? Correction. Liz Young is with us, and I was thinking of the day I first heard Liz Story, the piano player, when she fell on the scene of singer-songwriter. I don't know Liz Story. Liz Story
3: What's was spectacular, Liz Story like? She's good.
2: Spectacular voicings.
3: Was she as good on the piano as Liz
2: Young mm. is and, at and the Liz <laughs> Young, Liz, Liz Young on piano is a sight to behold. <laughs>
0: excuse me, Liz, I am so sorry
5: (laughs) well, Liz, you said something I want to pick up on this idea that late cycle can last a very long time how do you know when you're getting to the end of a late cycle that can last for 18 months?
1: Well, uh, it's difficult to know exactly what those signals are. I think if we all knew exactly what it was supposed to look like right before a recession came, uh, we'd not have all of this consternation about what's happening. One of the things that I watch, and I continue to watch this every single day, is the yield curve inversion. Now, we know that the inversion itself, especially at the 2s, 10s, is more of a signal pre-recession or a warning sign of, hey, there could be some bumps ahead. We don't know when, we don't know how big. And then you hear that old adage of, you know, the yield curve has uh, predicted nine of the last five recessions or something. So it's not a foolproof indicator. But when that inversion starts to re-steepen, meaning the inversion becomes more shallow, that tends to be the time when your ears should perk up and you start to listen for indicators that the Fed may pause, the Fed may have to cut. And that's what we're looking at in the market right now. The market still believes that the Fed is going to have to cut before the end of the year. The Fed holding steady and saying that, absolutely not, we are not talking about that yet. Also, their own projections of inflation are still above target, both at a core and a headline level, by the end of this year. So if things go the way that they expect, no cuts on the horizon in 2023, the market is sending a different signal saying, hey, we think that things could weaken, it's possible that we see cuts. So when you start to see those yield curve inversions get more shallow, you start to see the expectation that the Fed may have to pivot, may have to change policy at some point in the next 12 to 18 months, That's usually the time when you feel like the clock is really ticking on when we're going to find out whether or not this recession actually occurs.
5: Given that the music is still playing, do you play? Do you invest in stocks? I mean, are you basically in the Savita Supermanian camp and not on the Daryl Cronk camp of staying cautious amid an end cycle that could last for another year?
1: I'm cautious on the market, and and I admit I did not see this rally in tech stocks coming this year. I mean, up 20 to 26%, depending on what part of the NASDAQ you're looking at, is pretty astonishing. But if you're a long-term investor, and this constantly is a a theme that I think everybody should think about, if you're a long-term investor, you should be invested in stocks on some level at all times, because there's really no other place to generate capital growth in that way. However... If you're a long-term investor that doesn't have a stomach for volatility in the short term, you do have to position defensively in this environment, especially at a time when we've got yields back up again. I know that we talked, you talked about that earlier in the program. As yields rise again in this environment, valuations really do matter, and you're paying a lot for some of those names that have done really well so far in 2023. So if you're not somebody that has a ton of stomach for short-term volatility, and when I say short-term, I mean six months or less, then you have to have defensive positions in the portfolio. But if you're a long-term investor, let's say beyond three to five years, you do still have to have equities.
3: Hey, Liz, thank you. Liz Young there of SoFi.
0: Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FinRemember, Remember, Columbus, Ohio.
7: Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time.
2: You know we're going to dive right into this right away because it's like a three-hour conversation with douglas cass he's at Seabear's partners moving money around in florida and he's been very vocal but uh, doug i want to start with what i saw at oak hill where i used to caddy with just stunning memories of my ute i went to dancing school there doug with girls with white gloves on and you know the whole thing from another time and place and there's a guy from california You hit a 75 last week, Doug Cass. In my dreams, I could hit a 75. You're not too far from Michael Block. I mean, you're really working at it. What do you (laughs) think of the miracle the PGA wrought last weekend?
9: I I think that for those that that have no idea what we're talking about, Michael Block was the PGA club pro who had a hole in one and uh, finished tied for 15th in the PGA championship last week. And I think he's the reason why we love sports. It's the unexpected which excites us, like my 75 you referenced on Saturday, or like Judge's home run to tie the game last night and Volpe's walk-off and the recovery of the Yankees in the last three weeks. It's why we root for AFC Richmond over West Ham, Tom.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> the, you know, Richmond's doing well this year. That's a Ted Lasso reference. Uh, you know, but but, but <laughs> Doug, they're in the bunkers. And when I was at Oak Hill, the bunkers didn't look like that. It was like the Berlin Wall in front of you on the way to the green. And where does Michael Block's hands fall apart because he's never faced that pressure? Is it in the bunker? Is it hitting the ball the first time with the driver or is it on the putting green?
9: I don't know. It it was the classic Caddyshack shack cinderella's story yeah that's what that's why we love the game
2: credi just sports. woke up because you met your shack and she's like okay like, would you like to ask a question that doug has about the equity market i i
10: would love to i finally recognize <laughs>
2: something good morning
10: hi good morning lovely to have you on uh let's talk about this debt ceiling what happens if we get say we avert a default do we get a relief rally or is it just more gloom and doom what happens next
9: i think it's just um, a sideshow to the, the core problems facing the markets, Greedy. Um, look, we all make mistakes in this business, but one of the benefits of having experience in managing money over the last year and a half in particular and having been around the block is to quote Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, we have all been here before. <laughs> we were in 1999 during the dot-com mania. We yeah. were in late 2007 in the home price mania and again in 2021 in the arc disruptive stock mania. We are there again in May 2023. Today it's a speculation in AI and in, as Mike Darda discussed really well in the last segment, the negative market ramifications of a top-heavy market in which leadership is historically narrow, which reminds us of 1974 when the nifty-fifty blew up, leading to seven years of lean returns for stocks.
10: So, it sounds like the AI rally that you're seeing, not sustainable in your view.
9: Correct. I think that the, the, the two circles we have to square, Creedy, are the soft landing and speculation in, AI, in mm. AI. The market's at nearly 20 times, it seems to be betting on a soft landing. Though in reality, the market goes up and down, and oftentimes traders and investors simply chase in either direction for no real reason other than they are evaluated against the benchmark and care more about that than they do in making money or preserving capital. I think soft landings only tend to happen when the Fed has been proactive with monetary tightening. In this case, they've been badly behind the curve and badly reactive, so forcing a somewhat aggressive tightening cycle in the last 14 months, especially relative to the zero base we came from. So we
10: have
9: sticky inflation, mostly a functional labor costs. Soft landings don't tend to take labor out of the system and lower pressure on wages. Only hard landings do that. So how do we get sticky inflation out of the system without a hard landing that the market implicitly is betting against? Right. And then secondly, of course, we have the hot sub uh, topic de jour, um, in which Tina has taken a new form. It's an AI this time. But AI has been around for years. And as I discussed in an article I just wrote from Real Money Pro, the pathway to AI adoption and profits is likely to be rockier than many expect. And, Critty,
2: this is so important what Mr. Cass is saying, and I go to the railroad model. Mm-hmm. The railroads went down in flames in the 1890s for all sorts of reasons. And yeah. then they finally got it together the second act around. Yeah. Saying, you know, we've seen this with AI for years.
10: Yeah, well, Doug, uh, I was just reading your, your column actually. And the case you make here is simply that uh, the adoption is going to take much longer than what the market is pricing in. But what is the actual value to a lot of these big tech companies sitting on piles and piles of cash, record amounts of cash that are all going into AI, Alphabet, Microsoft, et cetera. So, is it really fair to say that some of these gains are unjustified?
9: I think it is, and I'm, and Creedy, I'm not a luddite. You know, I was on with uh, with uh, Tom and Paul in late 2020, 2022 when I was buying all these stocks. Uh, I was buying them uh, under four times sales, and now with the stocks up dramatically, there's no longer a value in my
2: view. Yeah. Yeah. Doug, um, with time left here, and and there's just so much to talk about today, you have a Florida perspective like nobody I know. The governor of your state tonight, I guess, is going to launch a presidential campaign with Elon Musk. Now, you know, Mr. Musk, you've been very supportive, I believe, of the space stuff and all that. And, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, you're hugely visible on Twitter. But this is your governor. What are you going to listen for from Governor DeSantis this afternoon tonight?
9: Well, let's begin by framing it. You're talking to a former native raider and a progressive liberal <laughs> so, um, um, who believes in pro-choice and um and has a political view, and my political view is antithetical to DeSantis. He
2: won big in your Florida. Can he extend that across a comfortable Republican I don't think he has a
9: chance against Trump. I don't think he's a likable character. I actually think he's on the spectrum, based upon my conversations Mm -hmm. uh, with him. Um, And I don't think he's going to be um, competitive against Trump. So I think it's an academic question
5: you
2: know
9: i'm yeah i'm much more concerned yeah, I mean, about the markets.
2: <laughs> yeah well you know let me bring this back to kitter peabody I mean, being pretty doesn't know this but long ago your meat and potatoes i think of mario gabelli and auto parts and industrial stuff right cast right. on the high ground and banking i looked at Peck west today and they got a 13 month 5.50 percent cd dug out of our ute i mean are you going to load the the boat on regional bankers in crisis
9: no you can't right now because of uh, the aforementioned conversation you had in the prior segment it simply stated the uh, the cost of capital the cost of funds yeah. uh, are going up dramatically this combined with fdic extra assessments and um, other factors are going to are really weigh on um, the secular earnings growth rate of the industry over the next two, three years. Yeah. And unfortunately, the sell side has not yet uh, reduced their estimates.
10: Doug, a final quick question or last minute here. When it comes to the biggest concern after this debt saga, sure. where does China rate on your list, the growth concerns that we're seeing there? Uh,
9: China is as... I, as we all know, is the driver of global economic growth, but that really is not my primary concern mm-hmm. vis-a-vis the speculation I see. Um, I'm not certain of much, but one thing I'm certain about is that the S&P is highly valued, especially against interest rates, and our reasonable and much lower than consensus forecast mm-hmm. for profits. And I'll just briefly say that at yesterday's close, the Fed funds rate was 508 the six-month treasury yield was 5.4%, and that's roughly three-and-a-half times the S&P dividend yield of 1.65%. Right. It costs 7.1% for a fixed-rate mortgage, right. and the S&P basically closed where it did 15 <clears throat> months ago when the Fed funds rate was only oh. eight basis points. The yield on the six-month note was 1%, or roughly two-thirds the S&P dividend yield, and the fixed-rate mortgage right. rate was... Um, was around 3%, and the S&P is basically the same price.
8: Well, and, I,
9: obvi- and also, um, uh, 15 months ago, the uh, consensus uh, S&P estimate was uh, $252 a share, and now it's right. close to $215 a share. So I don't see any value okay. in the market.
2: I'm out of time. I wanted to get to Garrett Cole and the New York Yankees, but we're out of time. Doug Cass, thank you so much. It's Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, Tune in, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keane, and this is Bloomberg.